You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Squid and the Ultimate Leaf Fan Show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs fan, and joining me as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vive. And listen, Squid, listen, we're off to a great start already. Hopefully it's a new year. Team Canada, not so well, but uh, we've got hockey starting in a week. We start our first podcast. Here it is today and gets a doozy of a guest with Curtis Joseph. Yeah, it's kind of uh, it's exciting to start our first uh, episode in the new year with a guy like Curtis. He's uh, just an unbelievable goaltender and an even better person. And, uh, you know, now that he works part-time with the Leafs as an ambassador, he's in town a lot. And I get to see him and played in some of our alumni. You know what the funny thing was? We went to Newfoundland when they were at camp there. We played an alumni yeah. game. He was still unbelievable. <laughs> like, he was good. He was, he, you know, I went in on him a few times and, uh, in the warm-up and tried, you know, tried my best to score. But, boy, he was quick. And he's, he can still play well. We'll go, we'll, get, we'll go through all that with him. I mean, we've got lots to talk to him about. But in the first thing, Team Canada, as I mentioned in the opening, met their match the other night. It looked like it was a game of two halves. The first half went to the U.S. The second half, Canada dominated, but couldn't score. The U.S. played a terrific game, and I guess full marks for the gold medal. Well, I think you have to give the U.S. a lot of credit. I mean, what they did was they took away everything inside. I mean, if you look at Canada's chances, any of the ones that they did get, they didn't get that many quality scoring chances, I would say probably under 10. And the ones that they did get, uh, you know, they came from outside the dots for the most part. The semi-breakaway that they had, unfortunately, the defense did a great job getting back and forcing the yeah. matter. But, but other than that, a, a lot of their opportunities were from outside the dots. And if you're not going to get opportunities from inside the dots, then you're not going to score that many goals on goaltenders that are of the, that caliber. And now that said it all to the goaltender and not, nothing against Levy because he played terrific too. And it just hard luck on the one goal that, that he lost behind the net, but uh, terrific goaltending, great game. Yeah. Uh, we came out in a short end being what though. Should love to see those guys play a little more often. And I'm sure they're going to be banging heads again <laughs> in the future. Now, well, they probably will. Honest, yeah. And it's, that's, that's the way it goes. And uh, you know, again, it's, it's always that very exciting time of the year. And again, I guess I'd remiss without saying that uh, you know, going on a, a, I guess, more somber note is the hockey world lost another one too soon. Uh, and John Mucker referring to his championships alone speak for themselves. You had a chance to play under him in Buffalo. Well, you know what? John was a good, was a good person. And, and that's one thing I will say about him. I mean, I know him and I didn't see eye to eye on for whatever reason. I don't know what it was. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he didn't play me in Buffalo when he took over and so on. But the bottom line is he was a good person. He had a great track record uh, coaching in the minors and in the National Hockey League before he came to Buffalo. Uh, a great hockey person with a great hockey mind and, and also a good person. And, you know, whatever differences he had with me or I had with him, you know, that really doesn't figure into the life at all. Uh, you got to look at him as a person and, and that's all I do. Yeah. Well said. I mean, I think that's that, that, that sums it up and that just as the character is a person he was and listen, that's, it's the same thing with anybody working in an office. Not everybody's always going to get along, but as long as you can leave it at the office or leave it at the rink, yeah. it's always a good thing. Yeah, and speaking absolutely. about the rink and speaking at the rink, we want to send good wishes out to our pal, Steve Ludzik, just for listeners out there for a bit of an update. Yeah. He did get the heart procedure. He's in recovery. It's going to be, as you mentioned last week, I haven't heard anything recently. I tried to get a hold of Dan Lancion, but, um, you know, he's awaiting life-saving liver transplant. Uh, he's a battered, as we know. So if anybody can beat this thing, it'll certainly be him. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, I haven't heard anything. So I think, you know, uh, probably in this situation, the least you hear, the better it is. And, you know, he's, that he's doing okay, but... But I mean, he's going to have to go home now, unfortunately, for whatever it is, three weeks, a month, and he won't have any contact with his children and his grandchildren or anything until the, uh, the actual surgery comes up. And that's probably the worst part about the whole thing is that 
you know, there's going to be no one around except for his wife, Marianne. And uh, unfortunately, he's going to have to go, which he did before Christmas uh, or the end of December, rather. And then now again for another month, not have his uh, extended family around until the, you know, the final surgery. Well, you know, one of the, we, we certainly wish him a speedy recovery and all the best moving forward. We know Ludzu will be listening at some point uh, uh, today or in the next couple of days. So go get him, big guy. And speaking of which, over in the next uh, couple of days from now, we start with the hockey season getting underway. And Sheldon Keith wasted no time. I mean, he it's almost like he's done an about face with his personality because he came in and he gave the boys a stunner right off the bat with his lineup and throwing Joe Thornton right with the two big guys right off the bat with Marner and Matthews. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. I don't know. It's hard to understand exactly what he's trying to do here. I think I think there's a little bit of everything. I mean, you look at his, his boss. He's trying to put the guys in the spots that he brought in over the offseason and uh, try to put them in positions where they're going to be successful. I think that's one of the factors. But also, he's looking at guys like Joe. I mean, Joe has elite uh, ability, passing ability, and elite looking at the ice and evaluating what, what is available. So, I mean, when you got guys like Marner and Matthews on the line with them, he's going to find those guys. <laughs> and he's going to be able to put it right on the tape, tee it up for them. So, you know, who knows? It might work. It might not. This is what it's going to be originally. But who knows? I mean, changes could come very, very quickly in a short season. Well, he, he sort of alluded that as the week has gone on, a little more is coming out as they get, they question him more on this because obviously he can't keep up. Not too many people can keep up with these two kids, by the way. So that's no yeah. knock on Joe Thornton. But Jimmy Vesey slotted into the number two line with Tavares and Nylander. Uh, Simmons has been thrown on the fourth line, but it's been made very clear that he's going to get power play time and he's going to get an opportunity to move up that lineup. So the way I read this squid, I, I, as just as you just, you touched on it. And, and I, I agree with you is that he's bringing these guys in and saying, look, we got a short season. Uh, you guys are coming in. You're on borrowed time. The way we're looking at it, we want to squeeze every last ounce of talent we have out of you guys. And there's no excuses because we're putting you right in spots to not fail. Well, and I think that, like I say, it's an experiment, see how it goes. And uh, I don't know how long it'll last, but the one thing I have a problem with looking at those first and second lines is yeah they're all good players and if they have possession of the puck everything's okay but if you have to dump it in who the heck's going to go get it that, well, that is what i'm looking at and i look at those the makeup of those two first lines and i'm thinking okay there's no one like zach hyman to go in there and get the puck and get it to those guys and let them do their thing and that's what so you could see maybe there's a chance you could see a Hyman on one line and maybe a Simmons on another line. Two guys that are willing to go in there and bang and crash to get loose pucks and get them onto their teammates' sticks. Well, I think as he's gone along over the week, he's sort of lighting out little bits of tidbits as we're going along that Hyman will be back with them at some point. Austin and Mitch are going to get most of the ice time. He's leaving himself room to fall down if it's not working. Yeah. And slip. It, Joe's not going to be playing 20 minutes with these guys. Let's put it that way. And they're going to get all the best. <laughs> well, I'd be surprised. I mean, you know, it's yeah. great to have a guy like Kim and Matthews out there together, especially uh, starting in your own end with face-offs because you got two guys who can take draws and are pretty good at it. So, you know, that's one situation that he can always be out there for. But uh I, you know, there's no way he can play that many minutes and keep up with those guys uh, uh, at that pace for 20 minutes. Or I think, hey, I think hey, hey, no, no, hey, no knock on you, my friend. But even in your good days, you would be hard pressed to keep up with these guys. Okay, these guys are pretty quick. I, you know what? I wouldn't have to keep up with them. I just go and and get lost and get open, and they get me the puck and I score. I mean, it wouldn't be that hard. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> Well, you know what it is. First one out of the zone and last one coming back. So you're always going to have a head start on them, right? So works for me. <laughs> um, well, now we get sort of the historical part of our Maple Leaf segment. Uh, by the way, folks, we do want to have you guys send us in questions. We're going to pick that up next week and send questions to ask Rick or we'll, we'll let you know who the guest is. Or we can throw them at the guest. We have a lot of fun with that. We got a great response. Uh, we started that with Jared Bednar. So we're going to continue on in 221 and doing that today. 1945 on January the 9th, 
19-year-old Teeter Kennedy became the youngest player in NHL history to score three goals in the first period of a game. It was the third hat trick of his career so far at 19. Also on this day, now here's one that I kind of thought this was, this was a good one. Jacques Plant in 1971 recorded a win, and this is a record that went back to 1924-25 for his ninth straight win in a row as a Maple Leaf goalie. I think about that. Nine wins in a row isn't, didn't, doesn't seem that crazy. And to go back that far for one goalie win nine in a row at that time. I think it's since that time it's probably been broken. But uh, Spencer Spencer got a, his only hat trick that same night. On this day in 2013, Berkey was fired and replaced by Dave Nonis. So everybody remembers when that was all going on. And as a footnote, we're just going to kind of skate over here. In uh, 1982, some guy named Rick Vibe scored two goals and had an assist in the Maple Leaf 5-3 uh, win. So uh, what do you think about that? Uh, I think the win was great. Because <laughs> <laughs> back then there weren't a whole lot of them. So uh, the fact that we won that game, that's all that really matters. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Well, well, again, you know, that's uh, the, the goals all count. As my dad said one time when he watched uh, one of the players scoring after that goal and put his head down and turn away and say, don't be looking so bad about that, that you don't want to take that goal because you end up with 49 and I would have been 50. That sure would have made a difference. So put a smile on your face. They all count. You know what? They all count. You're absolutely right, Mike. And, uh, you know, in order to score 50, you probably have to grab a, you know, two, three, four empty netters if you can. And- absolutely. Uh, I mean, they all count. Absolutely. Well, I think that they've listened to us enough to start off with here. So I want to go to our guest and bring uh, Curtis out to see what old Cujo has to say. Squid, today's guest is no stranger to Leaf fans, signing as a free agent in 1997-98. Three consecutive 30-win seasons, was instrumental in the turnaround in the hockey club back in that period, represented Canada a few times in international play, including 2002 Olympics, gold medal year, by the way. And 20-year pro, we introduced today, nobody other than Curtis Joseph. Cujo, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm in Arizona, so the weather's good. And I understand you're in Florida, so we're doing, we're doing all right. Yeah, we're doing okay. Better than squid sitting in snow and, uh, you know, and, and fighting hail and all that kind of stuff. No, I had a nice long hour-long walk today, and it was mud, and it was a little bit of snow, but it was kind of muddy because it's been rather mild here, actually. So... It was kind of nice. We were so now, uh, about an hour. So now, Curtis, uh, I understand are you, are you running a hockey school or something to kill your time during this uh, pandemic? Because are you what are you what's what are you doing and keeping yourself busy? Oh, I'm glad I don't have a business right now. I'd be <laughs> that I put money into a business. They're they're hurting. Also, I have friends who run hockey schools, and you know, with all the lockdowns, it's tough to tough to run a business. Obviously, and hopefully, we'll get back to normal. But you know, I've just uh, been kind of like everybody else been um you know it's been tough sledding i haven't worked in a in a little while and uh um you know i miss i miss the guys i miss seeing rick's face i miss seeing all my uh former teammates and and seeing the fans but um hopefully we'll we'll get some sense of normalcy soon so i've been playing a little golf and trying to stay in shape a little bit making good use of my time well, that's, that's, that's a good way to be, especially during something like this. So we're going to, we've got some hard pressing questions for you here today. This is really tough, tough journalism. Uh, sure. so speaker made off the bat, right. Squid and I, we love the nicknames and you got one of the classics of all time in hockey. How did that all come about the Cujo? Yeah, you're right. I'm lucky to have this, uh, this handle. It's uh, it was made out of my first and last name, uh, first two letters. And, and I think it was Robert Dirk, a defenseman uh, in, in St. Louis, big guy, big tough guy. And uh, he gave it to me and it really stuck. And uh, so I went with the Cujo uh, dog theme on my mask, which tied right into it. It was perfect. The artwork was tremendous. And, uh, you know, it stuck with me ever since. And uh, I'm happy about it. Definitely happy about it. Well, it's got, yeah, you got one of those names that you only need to mention that you know right away who you are. So it did, it did give you a yeah. good handle, you know, and especially your mat, you had the good mask too. Yeah, it was awesome. And well, I remember we were out in Newfoundland uh, and Curtis was there and we were playing an alumni game and I had that mask on and then I probably the last team you played for the equipment that you wore then. And uh, uh, 
even in warm-up, I'm going down trying to score on him. And I tell you, I had a difficult time. He was quick. He was still he can still move like a 20-year-old, I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of which, read along those lines. Curtis, how'd you get started? Uh, like talk, maybe talk about your early years playing hockey and how you got started playing in goal. Well, I didn't, uh, I didn't uh, play hockey. Um, I had adopted parents that uh, weren't really interested. And uh, I had played baseball locally and the, and the, the fathers in the, in the town would pick me up. So they're like, you should play hockey too. And so they made it happen and they always picked me up uh, to come and play. I couldn't skate. I think it was 10 or 11. I couldn't skate. And uh, that's why I became a goalie. I didn't want to be a goalie. That was the last thing that I wanted to do. And um, because I couldn't skate, the, the position, I always say the position chose me. And uh, for the first year, year, few years, it was a struggle. And, and uh, little by little, I got better every year. And, and that's, that's how I started being a goalie. So you ended up at uh, Notre Dame at, in Wilcox. And how did, you, how did that all come about? Did you get recruited? So that's actually, it was, uh, it was the big break for me. I was playing uh, junior A, tier two hockey in, uh, in Ontario. And uh, I definitely was a late bloomer because I started late also. Uh, I got cut from a couple junior C teams. I got cut from a junior B team. But then I played junior A hockey and uh, no scholarship offers. Um, there was a guy in my hometown who drove the, Vince's, uh, the truck for Vince's uh, fruit market. And uh, his sons had gone to Notre Dame to play football. And he said, you should go to Notre Dame. It's a great school. I know you finished, uh, um, you know, grade 13, but uh, I'm going to fly you out there. I'm going to make some contacts and you should go out there. They're having a junior team this year. So I had to make a decision and it was all on me. And uh, I went out there and, you know, it's, uh, if you've ever been to Wilcox, it's in the middle of nowhere. I'm 20 years old and no scholarship and everybody's younger than me. But we had such an amazing team. It's the first time I played on an amazing hockey club. And we had Rod Brindamore, who brought every NHL scout out. He was going in the first round. And he had every college scout out. And uh, literally, we all got seen. Anytime I see Rod Brindamore, I say, Roddy, thank you. I wouldn't have made it without you. And he always very humble guy. But, uh, yeah, I got a scholarship to pretty much every university in the United States after playing for Notre Dame. Well, you won a Centennial Cup, and you ended up in Wisconsin, another hockey hotbed. How was that life as a Badger? Uh, it was fantastic. It was uh, uh, both senior goalies were leaving, so there's two freshmen coming in. I wasn't sure if I was, you know, able to play in college. So to me, the school itself, uh, the rink being packed every night, uh, the way the student section reacted to their players, it was just a no-brainer for me. And uh, I was very fortunate to be able to get the scholarship I was on cloud that was that was the pinnacle that was going to be the pinnacle of my career um was to play college hockey and and uh um it was just a great time uh fortunately and unfortunately I was only there one year uh but we had a really good team also those two so Notre Dame and Wisconsin had played on a good team mm -hmm. so I looked good also and um you know just really kind of came into my own uh, was on the ice every day. That was the other thing. I was never on the ice every day. When you played junior hockey in tier two in Ontario, you might've practiced once and, and played two games. And uh, it's hard to get uh, better doing that. But at Notre Dame, you're on the ice every single day. At Wisconsin, on the ice every day. And in those two years, I, I probably made a, a huge 180 uh, jump in my career. So, um, you know, I'm very thankful. Still friends with all those guys. We're on group chats. And I uh, love my time at Wisconsin. So now as a undrafted player, you get a shot with uh, St. Louis signed you. How did that all come about? Then you ended up in playing in the minors. Did you even have any aspirations of playing pro? You said this was going to be the pinnacle playing college. So when did all that come about? Right. Well, the, the, the guy who covers our team, the, the local scribe that covers our team in Wisconsin, uh, one day he came to me and said, uh, hey, Curtis, there's lots of scouts in the stands today. Bobby Clark, and he mentioned a few other guys. This is while I was playing at Wisconsin. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that is amazing. Wow, I've never seen you know Bobby Clark before. He goes, I said, who are they here to see? And they said, they're here to see you. I'm saying, 
well, I'm on draft. And they go, well, you're a free agent. And I go, what, what's a free agent? They said, well, you're too old for the supplemental draft. <laughs> there was a supplemental draft back then. They said, you're too old for that. And you're a free agent. They don't have to give up anything. They can just sign you. I'm like, wow. I'm like, I don't know how many games into my college career I was at that point. So I had just gotten there and I was like, wow, very nervous. Didn't play well that game. I can see why Bobby Clark passed on me, but I did have a bunch of teams interested. Uh, and it came down to in 19, I was playing in 1998. It came down to uh, the Islanders, Edmonton, uh, St. Louis, and uh, Hartford Whalers. I got to meet Gordie Howe, uh, Bill Torrey, Glenn Sather, and Ron Curran. So to me, I was on cloud nine. It really happened very quickly. And uh, I eventually thought that St. Louis was my best opportunity. And Rod Brendamore, again, was uh, drafted by them in the first round. So it seemed like a no-brainer to me. While we were speaking of Rod Brindamore, here he comes up again. You were part of a compensation package. They said the Blues signed this uh, kid that we know in Toronto now by the name of Brennan Shanahan as a restricted free agent. So back then, right. the compensation was offered was Brindamore, two draft picks, and this uh, new goalie we got by the name of Curtis Joseph. Now, it didn't go through. They originally wanted, and they ended up with Scott Stevens. But here's the thing I want to ask you, Curtis. Back in that time, that was in uh, 19... 90, 91, I guess, when they, they drafted Martin Berger, the Devils, in 1990. They had a goaltending problem, obviously, at the time. Right. It was a couple of years away from actually making it because he played a few more years in the queue. Have you ever thought back in your career that what if that compensation package had gone through and how your career may have changed differently? Yeah, no question. Um, that was a strange time. And, uh, um, I felt good about how, how my career was going at the time. And obviously being packaged with Rod Brindamore, we had signed Scott Stevens and Lula Amarello wanted um, Brendan Shanahan in return. And uh, me and Shani actually always joke about this. Every time I see him, <laughs> I always say, boy, did we get ripped off in that deal? And he goes, we just didn't offer enough. <laughs> so We have a good back and forth about that, but uh um, yeah, you know what, <clears throat> Marty, first ballot Hall of Famer probably would have uh, wouldn't have I would have been on my uh, my next team pretty soon. Um, but I was a little bit older than Marty. Maybe I would have stunted his growth also, you know, so um, who knows how that would have worked out. But I remember uh, I remember that that scenario well. And it was uh, the whole league was watching. St. Louis. Uh... You know, what, what a great place to play. I mean, I know so many guys, and of course, we played there a lot. Did you play in the old St. Louis Arena or Checker Dome or whatever it was called? And uh, we played there all the time. But, I mean, the, it, it's amazing how many players that played in St. Louis are now living there full time. And, I mean, their alumni is, is incredible. And, of course, a lot of their alumni are helping develop the minor hockey around there. You see – Quite a few players in uh, coming out of St. Louis playing in the National Hockey League now. So I mean, it's uh, it's obviously a great place to play and a great place to live. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, most notably, uh, alumni are the Kachuk boys, right? And then uh, Jeff Brown's son is uh, he might be. I think he's drafted by Ottawa. Big yeah. kid. Um, they all went through that system. So uh, there's a few others I'm missing also. McCray, um, but. Yeah, absolutely. McRae. And uh, there's a kid in uh, Arizona here. Um, he's from St. Louis also, uh, Keller. You know, so they got a, they got a good AAA program. And that's all because of the alumni. They all dug in. They all wanted a place to play. And I remember they used to come up for the spring tournaments in Toronto to see where they're at. And they were good. They were one of the top teams. So uh, St. Louis is a great, great town. It's Where it's at is the suburbs. Uh, and uh, the people are, Midwest people are, are very nice and that arena used to be jumping as you know rick and uh i remember all the guys who came in they loved the boards and glass because they used to go when you got hit you would never get hurt the glass went right down to the fans and flung you back into the ring the worst well, now, part about the six... worst part but the worst part about that was having to play them in the playoffs like in a we had to play them in the second round twice so we're getting into may now and the St. Louis arena was old. It didn't have any air conditioning or, or what have you. I mean, literally by the third period, it was pretty much water, the whole ice surface. 
And uh, that was the toughest part about playing St. Louis in the playoffs was, was 95 degrees outside and inside it was so humid and hot and the ice was just terrible. Yeah, the humidity there is, is oh, tough. So yeah. it, it really, it bakes you. <laughs> so now after six years of uh, pretty decent success playing in St. Louis, and we know that firsthand here in Toronto from some of the uh, matchups that we had, a GM by the name of coach of uh, Mike Keenan, and boy, his name comes up a lot. He's squid in a lot of these situations. Way too much. Um, yeah. <laughs> way too much. His name always seems to come up. He, he decided not to sign you and traded you your rights to Edmonton. How was that day for you? That must have been a pretty emotional day to be leaving or to get moved. I mean, I know it was a contract yeah. dispute, but. Yeah. Uh, anytime you're um, a young guy and you get traded, I think that first trade really hits you hard because you feel such a part of that organization. They, they gave you the first chance. Uh, you know, they let you play. They made you a number one. Uh, you're involved in the community, the hospitals. Uh, my kids are born there. It just, once you get traded that first time, you're like, wow, I didn't think that could happen. I thought it was playing real well, but, um, but you toughen up. I feel like I grew up a little bit. There's always stages in your growth. And I think that was one of the big stages of my growth. Once I got traded, you kind of toughen up uh, mentally and you, you, you get a little grittier, which always helps your career. And, uh, you know, I played well in Edmonton. Um, I went with Mike Greer, which, which, which was no slouch either. And um, we, uh, we had some good runs in Edmonton. The team hadn't made the playoffs for five years. And, and we, we went on some pretty good runs with, uh, you know, we didn't have a high budget team. And uh, the fans there were very appreciative of that team. And, and uh, everything was hockey. So it was a great environment to play in. Well, I it couldn't work agree on, with you more. Mike, on, sorry, Mike, on yeah. that. I couldn't agree go, with go, you go. more. I mean, but how about being the fifth pick overall and getting traded that February of your first <laughs> year in the National Hockey League? And of all places, to the Toronto Maple Leafs, who you grew up watching and, and so on. And, uh, yeah, but you know what? I, I, I have to agree with you that that first trade kind of shakes you up a little bit. But then all of a sudden you, you do get stronger. You kind of, you dig down a little bit deeper than you normally would. Uh, Cause that just kind of sets something off in your head and you got to go, Oh, I got to be better. Uh, you know, this time around and so that this doesn't happen again. And so, yeah. so I agree hundred percent with you that it does change. There, there's changes in your life where you grow. And, and that's, that's one of the first parts of uh, the growth is that. Well, Curtis, just going back to that, when you ended up going to Edmonton, you weren't the only goalie. They had a guy by the name of Bill Ranford there, and you ran into a little bit of a contract problem. So you ended up, the grittiness certainly came through because you ended up going back and playing in the eye, lit it yep. up and dominated, and then came to Edmonton. Yep. And they were going to trade you at one point to Boston. They ended up training Brantford. I mean, you just want to sit back and say, guys, why did you bother trading for me in the first place? We went through all this nonsense. <laughs> now I'm here. You end up winning MVP a couple of times, most popular player, and help carry the team. I mean, you must have been, again, the greediness, it turned to probably cement. Yeah, for sure. And you know what you, uh, you I do anyway, I like to prove people wrong or prove them right, right. You know, if somebody says you can't do something, then your resolve kicks in. It kicks in and, uh, you know, you, you toughen up. And uh, I felt like I, I handled that situation really well and went in and did my job and um uh, but i had fun i mean i didn't know what to expect in edmonton and i made a lot of good friends and um you're right there was a little bit of time i had to go to las vegas and play for free <laughs> but that's okay i had a good time there i met some good people and i worked on my game and um you know that was a good experience also but uh going to edmonton um really loved my time there well then all of a sudden 1997, Ken Dryden is hired to run the Maple Leafs. He's a goalie. Uh, Toronto was having some struggles at the time, and he wanted to, he wanted to turn things around a little bit, and he wanted to start with goalie. You were a free agent or having some contract problems. How did that whole pitch go to come to Toronto, or were you a part of it? So I knew when I signed in Edmonton, I knew I was going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the three years. 
it was one of those clauses in the CBA that uh, halfway through the CBA that uh, the unrestricted free agency went from 32 years old to 31 years old. So it just happened that my contract ended up with 31 years old. I read the fine print. That's the only time I ever read the fine print. And so I became this unrestricted free agent, probably at the peak of my career, being a late bloomer. And, um, you know, I had, I, honestly, I was able to hit a home run in free agency and Edmonton wasn't in the position, uh, even though, you know, you try not to change teams when something's not broken. And, uh, you know, Glenn Sather was great with me, uh, but it just was a small uh, budget team at that time. And I had a chance to set my family up for, for a long time. And um, you got to take it. And I thought I was going to go to Philadelphia, actually. Uh, Eric Lindros, the Legion of Doom. I thought they had the best chance and they were very, very interested. But um, they signed John Van Beesbrook. Uh, Roger Nielsen was the coach and he vouched for Beezer. And um, so that left Toronto and uh, a few others. Um, and Toronto was my first pick. So it, it, uh, it went down like uh, Donnie, Donnie Mann was my agent. And uh, he met Ken Dryden in the local grocery store. And they, Donnie was out for ice cream and met him. And Donnie's a great, uh, a great uh, salesman of his own players, no question. And uh, that was a weird situation also. I went to Toronto, I signed in Toronto, big contract. And Felix was still there. And I respected Felix and played against Felix. So that was a really tough, tough thing to do. Um, but that's how hockey is, you know. And, um, you know, at some point, Felix was going to be traded somewhere. So um, that's just the way hockey is. And, and uh, Felix handled it with – we were there at the same time for a little while. And Felix handled it like a true pro. I'm still friends with him today. I always admire him for the way he, he, the class he handled the situation. And, uh, and I felt bad at the time for sure, but it was the best decision I had, I had made in my pro career was to come to Toronto. It was the pinnacle of my career and it was also, um, the best I had played. So, um, it was a great decision. It's great. Did you, uh, did you have any reservations at all though, about coming back to Toronto and, uh, actually, obviously growing up nearby, and uh, playing for a team, you know, like the Maple Leafs, uh, was there any hesitation, or was it just a, you know, perfect place, perfect situation for you at that time? So, you do. I do look at all the angles, and I do look at previous players like Larry Murphy. He's a Toronto guy. It didn't work out for him, yeah. and that guy's a Hall of Famer. So I did look at that and go, wow. You know, this is what can happen to you. And uh, maybe a guy like Dave Gagne, I don't know where he was at in his career. Didn't work out really for him. You know, he's a great, great player. Uh, played against him a lot. And so I did look at those aspects. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I just showed no fear and felt like I could be a difference. And uh, lo and behold, it worked out. Well, now, speaking of that, now, you played in some hockey marks. You've been away from Toronto for a number of years now. And, you know, mm -hmm. so you played against them. And you'd come into the city and stuff like that. But now you're coming back as on a big ticket. You're coming back as going to be the backstopper. And you're replacing a popular player. Or you're going to take his job, probably, in Felix Potvin. What was, the, what was the immediate impact for you coming back at a city in the difference? Because you came from a couple of good hockey areas, Edmonton, St. Louis, even Wisconsin. What was that like for you emotionally? Was it way more than you thought it would be or was it you, were you expected? So it was, it was everything that I knew times a hundred. It was, <laughs> it was bigger and brighter and more media coverage and intense every game. And um, I actually did well under that situation. Thank goodness. I'm glad I, I always say, I'm glad I went there at that stage of my career when I was playing well, and I would not want to be there when I wasn't playing well. It, it can be very brutal and very harsh. Um, but, you know, uh, it worked out for me and hockey matters. That's as a player and as a competitor, when hockey really matters, um, you know, I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. So 
it was it was great for me for sure. And I met a lot of great players, played with a lot of great guys. I didn't get a chance to great. play in that, many ga- that many games that mattered, Curtis. But anyway, um, <laughs> so obviously, like, I mean, you, you've got some great resolve, and and to be able to go into situations like that, even the other situations, like you say, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, you know, go on St. Louis, Edmonton, um, obviously. The things that you went through as a young boy and, and growing up obviously played a big role in, in you being that strong of a competitive guy and confident enough to be able to go and do that, I, I would think. Yeah, thank you, Rick. Um, you know, you've played in the league, so you know the the pressures that surround going to a new team or a new situation or playing in Toronto. If you haven't played in Toronto, it's uh, I, it's hard to explain, but you don't know what it's like. I always say, and it's um, you were you were a great player in Toronto, and you know it's 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 you want to be there when you're good, and and when you're good, it's it's a challenge for an athlete. I, I love it, and it was it was great for me, and I did have some really good resolve. I mean, I'm sure I had some nights where, you know, I didn't sleep real well, but um, you know, as a competitor, I look back. When you're playing, you don't think about it as much. You try not to think. Yeah. But looking back, I'm I'm very proud of how those years went. Well, it's so funny that you say that. Occurred. Sorry, Mike. Um, no, no, no. Go, go. Because I remember many times uh, saying that when I got traded from Vancouver to Toronto, first of all, it shook me pretty badly. You know, for your yeah. fifth overall, you're getting traded in February of your first season. And you're thinking, you know, what how, am I going to be able to play in this league? And how long am I going to be able to play? I get to Toronto, and of course, back then it was a circus with Harold Ballard and everything else. But it made me a stronger person and a better hockey player because because the pressure was there every single day, and I thrived on pressure. I loved it. It didn't bother me one bit. In fact, if anything, it made me better. Yep, I, I, I can see that. And you got to be that kind of person, I think, to play in Toronto. And it's good for some and not so good for others. Yeah. Now, this seems to be a common occurrence when some players like yourself and Rick and you, know, you guys can both attest to this. When you come into Toronto on big fanfare, sometimes the exit isn't quite the same as when you came in. And in your case, you're having a problem with the contract with Mr. Pat Quinn. Now, there is a story going around, that was 2002. He took you to the Olympics. You started the opening game, the Olympic game. It didn't go well against Sweden. He sat you the rest of the playoff. The talk is there's a little bit of friction with you guys, which you would expect when the coach sits the goalie. Did that come into factor in the contract negotiations with you before you left? Well, it didn't come into factor on my end. I can say that. I, I know how, um, you know, a, a short tournament um, for Team Canada goes and the other goalie was Marty Berger. So, yeah, well, yeah, I was, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, wasn't so, a beer league goalie. Yeah, and I played with Marty two other times uh, in, on Canada teams, so I knew what to expect, and and that's the way it goes. And um, um, you know, there was there were some pretty good Hall of Famers on the fourth line on that team, but uh, as a goalie, there's only one guy who can play, and and um, I was confident in my ability in Toronto, and I loved it in Toronto. Yeah, it didn't go as well as it should have, I guess, and. Um, and uh, at, at the end of it, I, I, it was my decision. And uh, I always regretted leaving Toronto. I tell young players now, when you have something going good, uh, why would you change it? You know, why would you change it? You would change it if you're going to get a windfall of cash that we're going to set your pair. I can see that. But if the money's the same, don't, don't, change, don't change a good thing. Yep. Rick, you can add yeah, to I, that. I probably couldn't agree with you more. I mean... Uh... You know, things were going on. Of course, I didn't have any control. And back in my day, obviously, the owners controlled everything. I mean, they controlled free agency, uh, you name it. Yeah. Of course, they had Al Eagleson in their pocket, too. So that that certainly helped. Um, <laughs> but That's uh, a whole other uh, story. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that, that's a whole another episode podcast. that one. But, um, <laughs> but no, it's, uh, it, it's, it's very difficult. And I agree with you. If, you know, if the money is close, why would you give up a place that you love playing in and, and a place that things are going so good? Like, you know, you see what's going on now with a guy like, like say, Matthews, for instance. And if he continues on that trajectory, 
over the next three or four years and then becomes a free agent at 26 years old, you know, you say to him, my first advice to him would be, why, why would you leave here? Like, you own this yep. place. You own this city. They love you. And everything is going great. You're going to have a good chance to win a Stanley Cup with this group. But, I mean, you know, unless, like you say, unless uh, all of a sudden there's a $5 million difference per year in the contract or something, mm. that's one thing. But uh, if, it's, if it's fairly close, I, I agree. I mean, you, you can't get a better place to play hockey in the NHL than Toronto. Maybe Montreal might be probably close or, or mm. around the same, but there isn't a better place. But if you don't have tough skin – it's not a place for you. Right, right. Well, I agree. Curtis, you certainly must have tough skin because, you know, once again, you leave Toronto, you go to a pretty good hockey club in Detroit, you get a three-year ticket to replace Dominic Kashik, you have a good year, and just seems to follow you around. He all of a sudden wants to come back. Now there's another goalie controversy coming up again. And they always seem to follow you around for some reason. But anyway, mm. you just want to sit back and say, guys, can you pick on somebody else for once? Just let me finish my job here, please. But anyway... How did that all go about uh, in Detroit? And then you had went and played on a couple other teams before ending up, ending up back in Toronto. Yeah, it didn't, uh, it didn't go great in Detroit. And part of it was uh, I didn't play as well that first year. That was the one time I didn't make the transition real well. And Rick will know this going, coming from Toronto. Uh, my heart was still there. And when your heart's not, you know, wholehearted or, and you don't know as an athlete, you're just not playing well. And um, you don't know why you're, you're struggling. You try and press. So I didn't play well. Still had good numbers because the team was so good. I mean, if you look at, and I can honestly say I didn't, I didn't play uh, as dominant there. I don't at all. But if you look at those numbers, you'll say, wow, you, you had a good run in Detroit. And I go, no, the team was good. <laughs> the team was really good. So uh, honestly, that's the honest, honest to goodness truth. And uh, I had a better run in Arizona and you look at the numbers and you go, wow, oh, really? Uh, it doesn't look like it, but uh, that's just the, the nature of being a goaltender and whether you're on a good team or a bad team, it makes a huge difference. So um, anyway, we didn't win a cup. We won a president's trophy, um, which was, you know, I'd never done before. And, um, but you know, we ran into JSG gear the first year and as a say percentage was 980. The guy didn't let anything in. So uh, not that I played great, but he played he's superhuman. So you're not going to win that series. And um, so it just didn't go as well. And you're right. I was being tested. <laughs> I was being tested a lot. And, uh, and that's okay. You, you come out a little stronger for that. So now you end up back in Toronto. So now was that sort of on the horizon or did that just sort of come about unbeknownst no, to it, you? Yeah, no, it's... Um, you know, I had played, uh, I went in the Spangler Cup and played and still knew I could play. So I came back, signed with Calgary, played there, played terrific in a backup role. I was happy, happy with that. And then um, Cliff Fletcher had called me and Cliff said, how'd you like to finish your career in Toronto? And I was like, Cliff, you are the man. <laughs> You're amazing. I've always, I've been trying to get tr back to Toronto since I left. So uh, thank you very much. And uh, I ended up having a not so great year. Our year wasn't that great. And uh, I knew it was time to retire. I'd been played sparingly under coach Ron Wilson, who probably didn't like me from the San Jose days um, when I played against them. But um, yeah, it was just time to retire. I was, I was at, I was at 41 also. So um, I had a good run at that point and uh, I retired as a leaf, which was, which was great. Um, lot, not many people can say they retired in their hometown. Yeah, 20 years uh, old, Ricky? 20, 20 year career. I, I would say that that's pretty darn good. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You know, um, especially for a goalie. I mean, you don't see that many goalies sticking around that long. Uh, in today's game, anyway. I mean, maybe back in the 60s and the 50s, goalies would yeah. stay for a longer period yeah. of time. But 20 years, that's that's a fantastic length of a career for a goalie. I can, I can assure you of that. I mean, for anybody, really, not just goalies. Mm. Mm, thanks, Rick. So anyway, Kurt, what I was going to say to you is after 20 years, you've obviously seen a lot. You've been through a lot, played a lot of teams. Who is one of the, I mean, you've got obviously got some few stories, probably that you can tell public and some you can't, probably a lot you can't. Uh, who yeah. is one of the funniest guys you played with and the prankster? Oh, oh I, 
you know what? I wasn't a prankster myself because I didn't want to get it back as much as, <laughs> as much as uh, I was going to dish it out. So, you know, there was a few guys that were pretty funny. Like Kelly Chase is a good friend of mine. He was a pretty funny guy, but he was ruthless. You don't want to mess with his stuff. And I remember he was trying to be a little fashion, a little fashion forward with his shoes. And literally they look like bowling shoes. And back then, you know, they didn't really fly, but I'm, I'm sure they'd be nice today. Anyway, somebody wrote nine and a half on the back of them, which was pretty funny because they looked just like bowling shoes. Anyway, Chaser cut their suit up into little pieces and, you know, just everything. That guy was tormented for the once he found out who it was, he was tormented for the rest of the year. So I didn't pull too many pranks. But, um, yeah, there's some pretty funny guys I, I played with. Uh, um, well, somebody tell me time. was a funny guy. I don't know if. Uh, yeah. If you played with him, Ricky, Basil McRae, he was a funny, funny man, man. He had a one-liner for everything. And, um, you well, know, he was, a, he was a good guy. For, good guy. I spent two years with Basil at a lot of things because our boys played together at the U.S. Development Program for two years. Right. So I got right. to know Basil real well during those two years. So yeah. right now, um, the other guy I was told not to mess with was Ty Domi because if he, he – you pranked him one time. He it was a lifetime. He would be after you. Was that? Uh, did you ever? Oh, that, that's so true. That's so true. Um, you know, we used to tell him, Ty, you got to be able to take a joke, <laughs> and he literally would want to rip your head off. So you know, um, nobody really messed with Ty, which is okay because you know um, you didn't want to mess with him anyway. He was the guy who protected all of us, and he did a great job at it. And so I wasn't going to mess with Ty because. You know, somebody runs me over in the crease. I want Ty in, in that guy's face so it doesn't happen again. So, yeah, Ty, he didn't have a sense of humor when it came to pranks against him. Pranks against somebody else. Oh, yeah, he had a great sense of humor. Well, Glenn, anyway. Healy, Glenn Healy told us a story one time. Somebody was in, from a T, didn't say who it was, was wishing them Merry Christmas beside the bench one day, and Ty walked over and decked him because he thought he was heckling the bench. And he was wishing them <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> oh yeah yeah i wouldn't doubt it i wouldn't doubt it you gotta catch ty on a good day so now um who is one of, well who's one of the well he was obviously one of the who's one of the most more intense guys you played with throughout your career or it must have been a few of them uh yeah there was a lot there was a few guys but you know i, I hate to come back but roddy brindamore was a very intense guy like anybody who played with him would say you know here's a guy who after a game would work out for two hours this is back in the day when nobody really worked out and uh or if they kicked him out of the weight room he would go home and do pull-ups on the uh on the wood down in the basement uh he was an intense guy and when i played with him at notre dame he was built the same way he's 18 years old and he was shredded and i i, I mean he is he, he was one of the more intense guys and it seemed to work for roddy he was very serious and uh which is i met his dad one time and his dad was a, a jokester it really a card i was like wow <laughs> It was it was the complete opposite. I met his dad, and he was fun, and and Roddy would tell him to settle down. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a definition of intensity right there. Telling your dad to settle down when so you're a kid. Twenty no, years. Obviously, yeah. there's guys that you might have had their number. Some other yeah. guys that maybe had your number. Goal scorers, because I know as a goal scorer, there was there was a couple of goalies that I just couldn't score on. But a guy like Chico yeah. Rush, who was a great goalie. Every single time I played him, whether he was with the Islanders or the Devils, I scored him. Was there some guys yeah. that were, was there guys like that that had your number or guys that you had their number? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I don't get to answer this question very often. And I love it because I'm a fan of the game and I'm a fan of, you know, I used to study players. And uh, I'm going to tell you the guys who did on me first, I just a couple came to mind. Um, so when I was a young guy in St. Louis, uh, Steve Larmer. Steve Larmer with that half slap shot and chewing gum. Yeah. You couldn't tell where that, and he had a bullet shot and it was always under the bar. So Steve Larmer early in my career. And then Timo Salati, he had, he had a bunch of goals on me actually. And Stevie Thomas, believe it or not. Well, Stevie had the, one of the greatest oh, shots yeah. when, when, uh, when he played. So he had, he had my number also. Um, I'll tell you a quick story. I, I, uh, my kids, my middle boy actually asked me, he goes, dad, who owns you? And I said, ah, nobody owns me. And of course they go to the computer and they look up and they go, oh yeah, look at Timo Salani. He's got 35 goals on you. He owns you. And I'm like, oh yeah. And I start to remember. So anyway, we go to the outdoor game and I'm playing for the Edmonton Oilers and Timo's playing for uh, Winnipeg. Sure enough, I'm playing the last half of the game. 
he gets a penalty shot with three seconds left. He's got five points in the game already. He comes down, totally snipes on me. I literally walk in with my equipment on, sit down in the dressing room. This is, you know, I've been retired for a few years. I sit down and my phone is on the bench and it's buzzing. I, I pick it up and look at it. It's my son, Tristan. He goes, still owns you, dad. <laughs> so now the other one is, uh, now this one comes from, my wife and I were walking in and we were talking about the show and stuff like that. So this is one we like to ask people, to, superstitions. Yeah. Uh, people always want to know, how, what, what were yours or what did you oh. have, if you had any? Yeah, I wasn't your typical goalie. I was a guy you could talk to on game day, especially about, hockey about penalty killing or power play i was a guy who was open to that and when i stepped on the ice i was all serious but um i would call them routines like things that were working for me you know i always got dressed left to right i'd go in a certain spot and, and stretch and focus for a little while and and when that was working i would stick with it until i rode that wave right to the ground maybe you know hopefully undefeated and six or seven games and then you lose a couple and you change up your routine you change it up you do something different and uh, it's just like a mental reset. And then you ride that wave and you get, you know, and you keep doing that uh, until you, and you hopefully you only lose one in a row or you keep your losses to a minimum uh, in a row. So there were certain things that I would change up. Wasn't afraid to change, but I wasn't your typical goalie who you couldn't talk to on game day. I love to talk hockey. I love to talk about shooters and players and situations. So I was pretty, uh, I guess guys would say I'm pretty, I was pretty normal for a goalie. So did Ricky. you did you study guys that much, Curtis? That you kind of knew their tendencies, especially there. I mean, the, I'm talking about the guys that could score goals. I'm not talking about the guys that didn't score any goals, but uh, the guys that you were playing against that you knew you had to be aware of. Obviously, you study because I know I did that with goalies as well. Yep, yep, yes, Rick. Great question. I uh, I definitely <clears throat> at a size. I was at a size disadvantage also, so I. I felt like I had to uh, be smart and uh, remember things. So remember tendencies. I felt like if I got scored on one way by a certain player, I was never going to get scored on again. I, I had a photographic memory for things that I loved to do. And I literally, and it was always like the top six forwards and maybe the top defensemen or the top two that could hurt you. I was defense, the offensive players I knew inside and out. I would remember tape jobs. Like I remembered how everybody taped their stick, whether a right or left-handed shot. I could tell you if a guy on another team who was a good player changed his tape job from black to white, shorter, longer, how his stick was taped. I can still remember it. That was my job was to be able to know. I wasn't able to look at the player. I was looking at the puck, obviously. And behind the puck was a tape job. So judging by that tape job, I knew in a split second where the puck has a great chance to go high, low, top left right and so those things i had photo uh, indelled in my memory and i always believe it it, it was my advantage in the playoffs because we played that team maybe seven times so that's how i felt i had an advantage well that's 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 a that's a pretty good one i know my son yeah. is a goal and he used to look at players uh, legs and watch their skates and look at for different skates and different colors around the way they tape their uh, pads and stuff like that but Right. Now, speaking of which equipment, probably one of the biggest changes since you played, what is the biggest change you've seen? We've got a few minutes left here. Uh, what is the biggest change you've seen in the game since you've played? So you mean for goaltending? Or all around, the whole game. Yeah. Itself. So certainly the sticks for, for players. I played when there was wooden sticks. And so I remember Sandy McCarthy, who was a tough guy in the league, beat me with a one-timer in an exhibition game from the top of the circle. And I was like, at that moment, I was like, wow, I have to be six more inches out with these new sticks and uh, everybody could shoot. So it's like a golf club. The kick point is perfect for that guy of that weight. And even the small guys could, could shoot it hard because, and the sweet spot on the blade was much bigger. So everybody could shoot the puck much harder. Uh, so I knew that I needed to challenge a little bit more because I tended to play deep in my net so I could always get the back door. But um, the, the stick, uh, the, the, the quality of the stick and the shafts and the graphite and the one pieces, they changed the game. Can you imagine in baseball if they went to an aluminum bat? Yeah, no, exactly. It, it would change the game. Yeah. And then also from the goalie standpoint, um, the equipment changed tremendously. The foams got lighter. I remember in Edmonton, 
my pads used to be seven pounds each leg. And by the end of it, it was one and a half pounds each leg. Can you imagine? Like guys, players, they, they just, when they get a skate that's an ounce lighter, they can feel it. Can you imagine five pounds each leg on each pad? The equipment got lighter and denser. And uh, that was a huge difference. Every year I'm go, I know I'm not getting faster, but you know what? I may, I may be able to be the same every year because the equipment's lighter. So two of the greatest changes in the games, the sticks for the players and the equipment and the lightness and the firmness of the equipment for the goalies. So those are the biggest things for me. Well, you can speak to the sticks, Rick, because you use that big piece of lumber. Well, I use that my whole career. I never, never played with a, those sticks. In fact, when I started playing alumni games, started using, using their one-piece sticks, I was like, okay, I, I, it felt so weird to me, you know, going from whatever, 11 ounces or 12-ounce sticks to two ounces or whatever the heck they weighed. And I, I was like, uh, it, it was very difficult to, to adjust to, but, uh, but finally I did. I mean, it took a while, but, uh, but yeah, I, I didn't, we didn't, I guess Gretzky was probably the first guy to use an aluminum shaft with a wooden blade attached, in, uh, glued inside. And that was kind of like right around the end of my career. And then they became a lot more popular after that. Um, Curtis, we'll leave you one last question. We want everybody to thank you very much for doing this. And, uh, but just, we'd be, we, we couldn't leave you without asking you this. Exactly right. We got to ask you this one. What do you think of this edition of the Maple Leafs? Well, I love the signing of Joe Thornton. Like, he, to me, is a guy who's seen it all. I know he's 41, but that guy was so hard to play against. He's one of the best passers I ever played against. And he brings an element of toughness. And he's a leader. When you can add a guy who's respected and revered in that dressing room that guys are going to listen to, um, and he's tough, and that's what they, they've needed. Um, I think the addition of Joe Thornton, uh, I wish he was five years younger, but that, that guy is just going to bring so much leadership to this team. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited about the additions they made and for the price that they got them for. Um uh, but especially Joe Thornton, just for the leadership and toughness. Scrid, final comment? Yeah, no, I, well, I think the last time we spoke about that, I said the exact same thing, yeah. that uh, the leadership in the room and his, the fact that he, that he has that little chip on his shoulder and plays a little tough and they've needed that kind of player. And uh, with the leadership on top of that, it's even a bigger bundle, I, I think. And I, I love the signing of him as well and Simmons as well. Uh, because I think yeah, he's got right. some good grit and, and uh, plays a tough game. And then they got those defensemen, Brody and Bergosian, that are going to help. Uh, they're certainly going to be a little bit better than the, the other guys before them. So I, I, I'm excited. Uh, gosh, we're only, what, six days away now, Mike? That's right. Next Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we've got a couple of days to go. It's going to be good. fun. Canadian Exciting division. Stuff. All right. Montreal, Toronto on the 13th. <laughs> Can you get any better than that? Well, Edmonton and Calgary, maybe. How about that one? Well, that, that could be for the Western guys. Yeah. Well, Curtis, we want to uh, thank you so much for joining us today. It was great. Some great insights. Uh, and for those that don't know it, do you want to give a plug to your book? Your book is still available. It's definitely worth the read. Uh, Squid, uh, you've got it. It's behind in your topic there. You've got to read it eventually, by the way. Yes. You've got to pick it up. You've been having trouble finding it, you said. I'm sure yeah, it's going to get it out there. I haven't able to find it anymore. <laughs> I thought I would have got one in the mail right now, but... <laughs> uh, that's what he's heading for, Curtis. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. To my hero, Ricky Vibe. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anyway, because, though, I, I will find it uh, because right. I saw your interview on TSN and I'm extremely... Uh, uh, anticipating being able to read that and, and uh, read about your entire life. So terrific. Well, Curtis, what do you want to thank you very much? Uh, enjoy the sunshine. They got a little bit left. You can see it's left me here. It's, we, we just got a sprinkling about another half an hour, I guess, and it'll be completely dark, but right. enjoy your time. And you. uh, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on guys. And uh, you do a great job and uh, it was a pleasure. 
Well, it's quite another good first one in the year, new year, by the way, in the books with uh, Curtis. Uh, great interview, great insights, and you can see why uh, his teammates loved him for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's funny uh, hearing him talk about, you know, uh, I mean, I know I did that with goalies, like in, especially the day of the game, I would visualize, you know, who was playing goal, where I, you know, where I could shoot, where I couldn't shoot, where he was good, where he wasn't. And he ta him talking about even noticing the tape jobs on guys' sticks, like the, the guys that can score goals. That was amazing. So uh, I think that's that and, and his resolve is what made him a, a unbelievable goaltender. Absolutely. And just, and then again, you get to hear him. He said, you know, he, his best times were playing in Toronto and he's one of those guys, obviously what he went through. I mean, it seems every stop he went, there was a goalie controversy and he seemed to come out on top most of the time. So that greediness and that tough upbringing from Ontario certainly worked for him. So while we're at that time again, we're at the end of one of our shows. Uh, again, we're looking forward to speaking to you guys again next week. We just want to remind you, send us your questions to Mike at ultimateleadsfan.com. Uh, we'll try to get your uh, question on the air. Uh, we're, we always pick, we're going to pick one or two every week. You can ask it of me, Rick, or our guest, and we'll let you know the upcoming guests in the next few days. Look for us on Squid and the Ultimate Lease Fan. We're on all the uh, podcast networks, and we, you know, look under us at, uh, uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So looking forward to speaking to you guys in the next week, and we'll let you know about our next guest in the next few days.